The sounds of children screaming, trying to escape the Uvalde shooter, part of powerful testimony given to members of Congress. Tess will never get to experience the life we had prayed she would live, and we will never know how scared she was in her last moments in that classroom. The memorable message to lawmakers, but does it come too late to make a difference? Walls and barriers to block the surge from a devastating storm. Why a huge bill just passed in Washington could help protect Texas from future hurricanes. A new surge of migrants crossing the Rio Grande is overwhelming some parts of Texas and bringing new calls for action. The real failing here is Congress's inability politically and procedurally to grapple with immigration reform legislation. Why the surge of border crossings could grow in the coming weeks and the ideas for short-term and long-term solutions. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Monica Madden in for Josh Hinkle. A U.S. House committee heard gruesome and gut-wrenching testimony Thursday with a focus on the Uvalde mass shooting. The hearing on gun violence featured some of the most painful and detailed accounts of the school shooting that we've heard in the months since we've covered this story. And I do want to warn those of you watching at home that this may be very difficult to hear, including sounds from that terrible day. The familiar knock of a gavel starting the hearing, followed by this shrill staccato of rapid gunfire. Audio from that day when a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers at Robb Elementary in Uvalde. I wanted, however, the very first sound to be in this hearing, gunfire. Imagine the whole litany of gunfire in America. There was no notice or anything else that might have saved our children. In emotional testimony, the big sister of one of the victims told lawmakers how her sister made their family complete. Tess was the outspoken, courageous, daring, determined, and nurturing person in our family. That ended May 24th. Our life has changed forever. It has darkened because our light has left. Tess will never get to experience the life we had prayed she would live. And we will never know how scared she was in her last moments in that classroom. Uvalde pediatrician Roy Guerrero. This is a shrill screaming of kids trying to get out while their classmates are being murdered. Shared horrifying moments. In perhaps the most excruciating public testimony to date. Children called the police as the gunman taunted them. State Senator Roland Gutierrez exhaustively detailed the massacre. Child was dragged out of the hallway. Her face was gone. Hallways and classrooms had blood like no horror movie you've ever seen. Get inside! Defined by chaotic and uncoordinated police response where it took officers more than 77 minutes to take down the gunman. Off camera, you could hear grown men throwing up from the side of the horror, or perhaps the failure that they had caused. You may never understand what my family is going through, and I'm not asking you to. But today, you can make a change to help families never have to feel what my family feels. The committee hearing focused on finding solutions to gun violence, but Congress is not likely to act anytime soon. The lame duck session ends after the holidays and then Republicans will take control of the House. Earlier this year, however, Congress did pass the first major gun safety law in decades. 
Texas Senator John Cornyn led talks on the bipartisan legislation. It includes increased funding for mental health programs, crisis intervention programs, and tighter restrictions on guns for people convicted of domestic violence. But the measure did not include a provision to raise the minimum age to buy an AR-15 style weapon to 21. That's something that the Uvalde families are calling lawmakers to pass. And back in Uvalde, families of the shooting victims voiced dissatisfaction with an independent review into the county sheriff's department. Uvalde County Commissioner's Court hired an attorney for this review, but the report only looked at the department's procedures and policies and not the actual response to the shooting. Our Ryan Chandler has more. It's not me. It is the children that you have to face. It is the, the, the thing you have to live with every single day. Jesse Rizzo lost his niece, Jackie, at the Robb Elementary School massacre more than six months ago. He's among the families wondering why this request for accountability has gone unanswered. It's unacceptable, inexcusable, and shameful. Families confronted county officials after they completed an independent review of their sheriff's office that did not address the Robb Elementary School shooting, learning only that the department did not have an active shooter policy until September of this year four months after the shooting. It seems like this review is ignoring the elephant in the room. That, that, that is the term I used in describing. That's what everybody wants to know about. So I just talk about the procedure that they have in effect now. The community largely blames Uvalde County District Attorney Christina Mitchell for not releasing key evidence. She met with commissioners behind closed doors and ignored questions that followed. Who are you building a case against? These families, they're missing somebody that's not going to be there for the holiday. That gift that you normally would buy, they're not going to be able to buy that gift because there's nobody there, you know. And, and so what do you do? You go celebrate at their sacred ground, which is a cemetery. You know, that's painful. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. This report comes as Uvalde Sheriff Ruben Nolasco is facing new scrutiny for his actions that day, specifically failing to communicate vital information about the gunman and not acting on information about surviving children inside the classroom. Mariano Pargas resigned as the city police chief last month, but he still serves as a county commissioner. Families continued their demands that both of those leaders resign. A new surge of migrants crossing the Rio Grande is overwhelming some parts of Texas. We speak to a key congressman about the growing urgency for short-term and long-term solutions. Senators approve a multi-billion dollar defense bill, but it includes a major project you might not associate with the military. The industries in and around the Texas Gulf Coast are critical to our security and for those of our allies. How the defense spending bill is boosting a plan to protect the Texas coast from future hurricanes. On Thursday night, the U.S. Senate approved legislation to increase defense spending. The National Defense Authorization Act passed in an 83 to 11 vote, clearing the way for President Joe Biden to approve the funding bill. The $858 billion plan includes a 4.6% pay increase to troops. It adds measures pushed by Texas Senator Ted Cruz to lift the military's COVID vaccine mandate for service members, and it also authorized additional funding for Taiwan and Ukraine. But the defense bill also included billions in funding for 
for things that you wouldn't normally associate with the military. Lawmakers bundled the Water Resources Development Act into the bill, and that act approved several projects for the Army Corps of Engineers. One of those projects is a plan to protect the Texas coast from future hurricanes. It's commonly known as the Coastal Spine Project, or the Ike Dyke. The multi-billion dollar plan will build floodgates and other barriers to protect the areas around Houston and Galveston from storm surges. Texas Senator John Cornyn spoke about the importance of the project before the final vote. In the Houston area alone, we have some of the largest concentration of refining capacity in the world. And uh, the rest of the country depends on the fact that that uh, jet fuel, that diesel, that gasoline will be available. And uh, if another hurricane were to wipe out Houston, like Hurricane Harvey tried to do, obviously that's something that will have an impact, not just locally, not just in my state, but across the nation as a whole. I believe that after years of hard work, the Texas Coastal Spine Project has begun the long, long road to final construction. And I'm glad this project will be fully authorized in the Water Resources Development Act. The next step is to secure the funding to begin that lengthy construction process. And I'm eager to work with our colleagues on both sides of the aisle to make that happen. As you heard the senator say, the bill authorizes the Ike Dyke project to move forward, but Congress still has to approve the funding. It's expected to cost more than $34 billion. Much of that money will come from the federal government, but state and local governments are also expected to put billions toward that project. Shelters overwhelmed as more migrants cross the border into Texas. It's fueling new urgency to find solutions. Eventually, if we can't get this political asylum, process under control. We're going to continue to have this problem at the border. We go in depth with one congressman's ideas for steps to happen quickly and long-term fixes. Newly released data reveals problems when it comes to Texas women dying during pregnancy or shortly after. The response to the report and how it could lead to action at the state capitol. A new surge of migrants crossing the Rio Grande is overwhelming shelters in Texas. And the numbers of migrants could grow as Title 42 restrictions are set to expire. That policy was put in place amid the COVID-19 pandemic, allowing the federal government to turn away migrants seeking asylum. The court-ordered end to the policy could bring an even larger spike in border crossings. And that's bringing new urgency to find short-term and long-term solutions. This is a look at the end of migrants' physical journey to America. But the journey to stay in the U.S. is far from over once they cross the Rio Grande. Over the last five weeks, the number of migrants in Border Patrol custody has been sharply rising, according to the city of El Paso. Absolutely unsustainable and frankly an unacceptable uh, situation. El Paso Congresswoman Veronica Escobar says this is creating an unprecedented strain on the community and she's calling for the feds to send even more resources. It was working. Republicans, however, say solutions lie in reinstating Trump era policies. Is the remain in Mexico policy, the migrant protection protocols, which deals with political asylum. We have to end catch and release. Do you think Title 42 should be extended? Of course. Immigration policy experts like Doris Meissner say Congress needs real reform now. The real failing here 
is Congress's inability politically and procedurally to grapple with immigration reform legislation that would make it possible for the executive branch to actually administer the border. She says federal laws need updating so that seeking asylum isn't the only current pathway for entry. Everybody now is trying to apply for asylum because it's the only way that they can get access to the United States. We actually do have reasons for people to immigrate legally to the country, but our laws are not in any way set up or aligned with ways to meet those interests. We heard from Austin Congressman Michael McCall in that story. He's the ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and he'll likely lead that influential committee once Republicans officially take back the House in January. I asked him more about the changes he believes need to be made to address the growing number of border crossings. What should Congress be doing to change our asylum-seeking laws? As we've been hearing from people on the ground there, that that's a major problem right now and the differences of how to process those folks who are escaping actual um, really threatening situations in their home countries. You know, and I've dealt with this issue ever since I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, right, you know, in my hometown in Austin, uh, chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. Um, you know, what they see is the uh, rescission of Title 42, which was a way to deport people at the border based on health reasons. Uh, the administration has uh, basically given an announcement that's going to be uh, lifted. And so now you're seeing another surge. Uh, but I go back to the policies that were working that I, I had worked on as well. And that is the remain in Mexico policy, the migrant protection protocols, which deals with political asylum. Uh, we have to end catch and release. But we also have to go back to remain in, in country of origin when they apply for political asylum. Because once they touch base in the United States, because we don't have detention space, because of catch and release, they're released into our society and they disappear. If they remain in country of origin, like in Mexico or Central America, uh, then once their claim is adjudicated, they can either come into the United States or remain in their country of origin. In fact, you know, about 15, only 15% of these claims are legitimate uh, political persecution claims. And they have every right to come in if they have that. But if it's just based on economic, that's not sufficient under the law. So I would say we have to go back to that policy. Unfortunately, it's gotten way too politicized. So I'm going to be the incoming chairman of foreign affairs. I plan to go down to Mexico and Central America and talk to them about these political asylum agreements that maybe we could enter into with these countries that, that then would actually stop this at its very origin. Is there anything Congress should do in the short term though with Title 42 ending? What can we be doing right now to help with this as we keep seeing surges of migrants down at our Texas-Mexico border? Well, we have our, uh, you know, our, our big uh, spending bill. And I think we need to make it clear in there that we um, bipartisan want this policy extended. Now, how can we have all this money going for COVID relief, right? domestically and yet lift the title 42 restrictions to allow people we don't know anything about come into the United States and not even test them, but then not be able to deport them if say we can test and they have COVID. I mean, this is, um, it makes no sense to me. Do you think title 42 though is a little bit of a band-aid as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic? 
I think it is. I think I think eventually if we can't get this political asylum process under control, we're going to continue to have this problem at the border. The latest surge of migrants is happening, even though Title 42 is still in effect. One challenge is that many people crossing come from countries like Venezuela and Nicaragua. And the United States has limited diplomatic relationships with those countries, so it's difficult to send those people back to their home country. Instead, under the law, they're able to apply for asylum. That issue will continue whether or not Title 42 stays in place. The Biden administration has negotiated with Mexico to take some Venezuelan migrants. The administration is also looking at ways to let people apply for asylum in their home countries without having to make that trek to the border. A long-awaited report gives new information about Texans dying because of pregnancy or childbirth complications. Every mom's life matters and we have to work to solve it as if our own lives depended on it. What we're learning from the report and how the data could lead to legislation in the upcoming session. After a long delay, Texas gave us a new look into the state's challenge with pregnancy-related deaths. The new data comes from the Maternal Mortality and Morbidity Review. The report shows the numbers have not improved when it comes to Texas women dying due to complications tied to pregnancy or childbirth. And the data shows black women are affected at higher rates. And as our Ryan Chandler shows us, the report has lawmakers and activists calling for change in this upcoming legislative session. 2016, I had my son and both he and I were at jeopardy of dying during our, my birth. Facing death to give new life, Nakenia Wilson's near-fatal birth gave her a son and a mission. I've just been working ever since to make sure that other women don't have to have that same experience or worse. For State Representative Sean Theory. I nearly lost my life in childbirth from receiving a high-block epidural. The latest data on death rates for pregnant Texans are a painful reminder, but not a surprise. When that first report came across my desk and I read that black women were dying at three times the rate that I, I finally had the courage to say what happened to me. The report found nearly 12 women died in connection to their pregnancy every month in 2019, leaving nearly 300 children without their mother. The danger doubled for black women. You can call it discrimination, I would go as far as to say racism. They're more than three times more likely to face preeclampsia, the same pregnancy-related high blood pressure that almost killed Wilson. I have a master's degree, solidly middle class. I went to every doctor's appointment, and yet, honestly, care that I should have gotten that just didn't happen. The report's breathing new life into demands in the Texas House. I have an obligation to do this work because I survived. Theories calling on the legislature to extend Texas's postpartum Medicaid benefits from six months after birth to 12. She also wants to require more timely data from state health services and to counter discrimination among doctors. We can no longer be a footnote in these reports. Black women are the report. Wilson also working to deliver change in the delivery room. We have to believe that every mom's life matters and we have to work to solve it 
as if our own lives depended on it. Ryan Chandler joins us now. The conversation around this issue definitely changed after the 2021 legislative session. How do these activists and lawmakers think that the issue will change under Texas's ban on abortion, Ryan? That changes the entire context around this issue, right? Nakinya, who we just heard from, said that she remains cautiously optimistic, but she said it is almost inevitable that with more mothers giving birth, they they're could very well be more deaths. So that's why they are pushing not just for expanding uh, access to Medicaid coverage, but uh, implementing legislation that could improve bias training within hospitals, improve uh, that, that data reporting to try and tackle this issue from a lot of different angles now that it is, it is so much more urgent this year. All right, Ryan Chandler, thank you for your reporting. Our investigators have detailed problems with how the state tracks maternal deaths and near deaths since 2019. You can scan the QR code on your screen to see those reports now. You can find links to hear from Texas Moms Affected and look at the legislation which could make a difference. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Monica Madden. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.